Good evening and welcome to Church of the Word. We are excited, or at least I am, excited about being here. How about you? All right, awesome. And if you're not excited about being here, then I'm going to put my faith that the Lord's going to touch you while you're here, and that when you go home, you'll be excited about having been here. How's that? Stand with me if you would, and let's pray. Father, we bless you and we present ourselves here to you, Lord. And I ask you, Father, we just invite you, first of all, to come and to have your way in this service. We submit ourselves to you. Speak to us. Minister to us. Lord, we're on your time, not on ours. And we give you full reign of this service to minister as you see fit. I ask you to encounter every person in this building, every person listening by internet. Lord, that You would touch them with Your Spirit. I ask You, Lord, that You would stretch forth Your hand tonight to do signs and wonders and miracles, to confirm Your Word as it's preached, and to open up eyes and ears to see and to hear, and hearts to know, even as we are known. I thank You for this. Father, thank You for bringing us through another week, for bringing us to another day, That your mercies are new again this morning. And that tomorrow morning they'll be new again. We bless you for this. Thank you for giving us the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And we rejoice in being able to be called your children tonight. Who's happy about that? Let's talk about Romans. And learn more in the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. Both Gentiles and Jews. What did you what ministered to you last in last week's sermon in last week's teaching? What ministered to you? What do you remember? It was in Romans 9 and we went from Romans 9:1 through like chapter 10 to verse through verse 13. So if you need to do a quick scan to, to remind you I mean, a lot of times I don't remember what I preach from one week to the other. So I'm, I'm not putting, I'm not, this isn't a trick that I'm trying to play on you. But it is important. Sometimes what helps cement things is you look back at a sermon. Well, I don't remember 95% of what he said, but I do remember this one point. This thing stood out to me. And so let's hear some of those. What was something that you, or maybe it's something that the Lord just ministered to you that was completely aside from what, what I was teaching. About the conscience? Not letting your heart be seared, okay? Anyone else? That the conscience isn't always the truth, right? Isn't always reliable. Our conscience needs to be renewed sometimes to the Word of God. It can have, um, it could lead us astray. So it needs to be governed by the Spirit of the Lord and the Word of the Lord. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do everything as unto the Lord. Even if it's smoking a cigarette. You would have had to be here. And listen, because of tonight, <laughs> most of my sermons aren't going to make complete sense if you didn't listen to the one that came before it. And so, um, last week I would encourage you, because Romans 9, 10, and 11 go together in a wonderful way. And so last week we covered 9. Tonight I want to cover 10 and 11. And... Um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because there was we laid some serious groundwork for some of the things that we'll look at and say tonight 
that if you didn't hear that may not make complete sense to you. So you can find our, our sermons on the website. Anybody else? Let's take one or two more. Yes. And our mind, right? That was another one that we would looked at, that it's not the same thing as our mind. All right, anyone else? About pre- predestination and, and how that looks and what that means. We talked a lot about what the hardening of the heart, how that looks, what is God's part, what is man's part. Because a lot of that is misunderstood many times. We just, oh, well, God hardens them. And so it gets assigned off as though God is pushing buttons. This one goes to hell. This one goes to heaven because I created him that way. But that would be a misconception. That's not how, um, that's not when we, when we look at the word through other word, we begin to see what is being said. We don't want to ever take a single verse or a single two or three verses as a standalone without being able to filter it through understanding by other scriptures. That's our safeguard. And that's how to rightly divide the Word of God through other scriptures. Alright, so in Romans 10, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, we'd already um, gone through the first 13 verses, so, but I'll just read them for context. Now remember the prior first eight chapters were amazing. And he just built up to this wonderful crescendo in chapter 8. And he answers so many questions. And then in chapter 9, he begins to speak of Israel's rejection of Christ and what that means and what that looks like now. And so he continues to answer that in 10 and 11. So in chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. Now he's talking about ethnic Israel here. Because that is, we're going to look at that a lot tonight. The difference between ethnic Israel and the Israel of God as of today. So he, he uses the same term sometimes for both. Um, but we'll, we'll take a closer look at it as we go. So his desire for Israel is for their salvation. I, Paul says, I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So it's a point of deception. And how many know that one of the signs of being hardened is you become deceived. You become deceived. So it's not according to the knowledge they've been given, so it's point of deception here. Verse 3, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end, or we could say the completion, or the goal. I like to use the word completion. Christ is the completion of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, and he quotes from the Old Testament, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? What is the word of faith? Well, he answers that. The message is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith or the word of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame. Since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all 
richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone, whoever may call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. These are amazing Scriptures that we have. And I'm so grateful for them. It takes all the complications out of it. Breaks it down real simple. Look, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, let people know that this is what you believe. You will be saved. And what if you believe something, you'll also have corresponding action, right? Faith without works is dead. If you believed the building was on fire, you wouldn't stay sitting here. You'd get up and go out. You'd have action that corresponds to your belief. Well, in the same way, if you believe right, that Jesus is Lord, then you're going to live a life that would reflect that. Alright, verse 14. He begins to ask some important questions. How then can they call on Him they have not believed in? How many of you believe that pink unicorns are a real living animal? Anybody? Anybody go out shopping for one today? Like a real, alive pink unicorn? You didn't call on any pink unicorns. Do you know why? Because you don't believe they exist. Alright? So he's just saying, how, how will they call on someone they don't believe exists? How can they believe without hearing about Him? You don't believe something until you hear about it. Right? Once you hear about it, now you have the opportunity to believe it. The reason none of you believe that there's such a thing as a six-foot frog walking around Lancaster City right now is because you didn't hear about it. But if it was on the news and you saw pictures, you would begin to believe, oh wow, six-foot frog, where'd that thing come from? At least I'm not talking about blue bunny rabbits with pink (laughs) red eyes. Some of you are saying, what? Yeah, again, you'd have to be here. You just have to hear it to know. Red eyes, yeah. So how are they going to hear without someone to tell? So how can they believe if they don't believe God exists? And how would they believe He exists unless they hear about Him? And how will they hear about Him unless someone tells them? That's what he's saying here. How, how, will, how will they hear without a preacher? Without someone to tell it? And how can they preach? How can you and I preach it unless we are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Gospel. Look down at your feet and say, I have beautiful feet. What you're saying is that my feet bring good news to people. Because where I go, I have good news. I have good news. We, we had this friend that she was always um, very self-conscious all through the years of her feet because her feet didn't look normal. Toes didn't look like other people's toes and things. And so she would always try to wear shoes and things. And, and one day, um, she was coming to our church in Colorado and she got a hold of this scripture. And so she started going barefoot, everyone. And her confession was, I have beautiful feet because I'm sharing the gospel. I thought that was awesome. You know, the gospel is practical. Verse 16, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So, Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ, or the Word of Christ, or Word of God. And the Word, the word message, or the word Word, up on the screen you'll see it says message, that is the word for rhema. Rhema. 
See, there's two, two um, explanations or words used. I'm no Greek scholar, but from what I can see is there's a word that's called the logos, and that's the written word. That's the word as we know it or hold it in our hand. And it's the rhema when it is a direct word to you. It is a living word to you. It becomes alive within you. And that is the rhema of God. The word of God goes from the logos to the rhema. Well, here he is saying faith comes from what we hear. So it's important that we hear the right things. And not the, the lying media, right? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the Word of God. In other words, if you hear the Word, it gives opportunity for faith to grow on the inside of you. Put up verse 17 in the Passion Translation. I think it does a really good job at translating the verse's contextual meaning. Because we use this verse as a standalone verse often, you know, hey, where does faith come from? Faith comes from the Word, so make sure you hear the Word of God. But in this particular case, let's just remember it was in the context of speaking the Gospel. Of preaching the Gospel to the Jews. That's the context. So here in verse 17, in the Passion Translation, um, that's the verse 15, I think, isn't it? Okay, go to the next verse then. And the next one. Okay, verse 17. Faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. I like that. Let's read it again. Faith is birthed in a heart. See, just hearing isn't enough. Because people sat and heard Jesus speak all the time. Some people went away with faith. Other people went away with a bad attitude. So, How you hear is very important. Jesus would say, be careful how you hear. Take care how you hear. But here, faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance, to His rhema of or about the anointed one, about the Christ. The Gospel. Remember, the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. That is a rhema word that comes alive on the inside of you and causes new birth and change to come to your spirit man. Alright, let's keep reading verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry. He's talking about the Jews here, the Jewish nation. Alright, ethnic Jews. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. Did you know that the Bible roasts you as a Gentile? Claims you lack understanding. That's right. I will make you, the Jewish nation, angry by a nation, the Gentiles, that lack understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. So I ask then. So Paul is now asking the Christians, both Jew and Gentile Christians in the church at Rome. I ask then, has God rejected His people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He is saying, 
Has God rejected them to the point of past redemption, beyond redemption? Saying, absolutely not. I am an ethnic Jew. I am saved, is what he's saying. I am a believer. So if he would have just rejected the Jews, Paul wouldn't have been able to become a believer, right? But he did become a believer. So present tense, look, if I'll, you don't need to turn, I'll just read it to you. But this question is answered. I'll ask the question again. Has God rejected his people? This question is answered back in verse 16 of chapter 1 when he started the letter. It says there, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. It didn't say no longer to the Jew. But first they came to the Jew. That was Paul's mode of operation when he would come to a new city. He would go in, he'd go to the synagogue, he'd talk to the Jews, and then a few of them, an elect, would be saved, and then the rest would begin to criticize him and persecute him, so then he would leave them and go to the Gentiles. And then, boom, a church would sprout up. That now had believing Jews as well as Gentiles in it. So the point that I'm making is that the present tense state of Israel is that they can be saved. Just like you and I. God has not, verse 2, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Or don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they've, this is what Elijah said, Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I'm the only one left and they're trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? God answered, he said, I've left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way, current state, in Paul's day, in the same way then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, otherwise grace ceases to be grace. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for. But the elect did find it. I want you to notice that he contrasts Israel with the elect. But the elect come out of Israel. They're a part of Israel. They're a part of ethnic Israel. And so he's saying ethnic Israel, he contrasts it, did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. Paul is one of the elect. right? He was a Jew that became a Christian. And what we're going to look at tonight is we're going to examine about whether or not, or what is, because a lot of people misunderstand Romans 11 pretty severely, and it really affects their end time theology. Now, this is not an end time sermon tonight. Um, we'll do that another time, Lord willing. But tonight, what I want to look at is to understand that Israel and the church are one, the Israel of God. Many people don't understand that, and they think that. God has special plans for the ethnic nation of Israel and that that's what He's talking about in this chapter. But nothing in Romans 11, and nothing in this chapter says anything about the restoration of an earthly Davidic kingdom or of a return to the land of the Bible or of a restoration of the national state of Israel. Nothing in this chapter talks about a church of Jewish Christians that are separate from the Gentile Christians. 
There's a lot of people that believe it does, but if you just read it and stop adding things into it that people have taught you wrong, you'll see nothing there that says anything of the sort. On the contrary, it redefines the Israel of God to include both the Jew and the Gentile. That they're one. And we're going to look at a lot of Scriptures on that. Um, I won't make you turn to them. I'll just read them to you and you can take notes if you'd like to. So tonight, what you believe about... Israel and about the church and Israel's current state, what you believe will uh, really affect where you end up in your end times theology. And what I mean by that is this. So in end times theology, there's three or four main ways of thinking that then within those camps, they're split into many different parts and pieces. But just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them into three branches of thinking or three common ways of believing. On, on end times. Um, so one is called the Praetorists. They think that everything in Revelations has already been fulfilled and has happened in the past and we're on the other side of it. I don't know how they think that. I can't make it make sense no matter how hard I try. I mean, I, to me it's craziness. But there is a group of people that believe that, okay? And then there's a group of people that believe that it's all symbolic. That none of it is actually going to be literal. It's all symbolic. And then there's a group of people that think that, well, there's a mixture. Some of it's prophetic. Some of it's in the future. Some of it's symbolic. Some of it's literal. And so, what you believe about Israel and the church will now begin to shape where you fall in which camp. And what's interesting is some people will fall in within a camp that... They believe one thing about Israel and the church, but then later over here, they're believing something that's not, it's not even coherent with the doctrine over that they claim to believe. So what I'm looking to do tonight is break down this Israel and the church, their relationship from other Scriptures, looking at Romans 11, so that we get a solid understanding of what that is, so that when you do study end times, that you have a scriptural foundation to look through as you build your understanding of that. Alright, so let's, let's um, continue on. Let's look at verse 7. What then? Israel did not, ethnic Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened. Notice again the contrast of Israel and the elect. The rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. And if you listen to last week's sermon, you'll hear and understand what is happening here. That when people, people have a choice in this. God is not just assigning one person to be hard-hearted and another to be the elect. Just arbitrarily choosing that. It's people's response to the Lord and then they are influenced um, anyhow, you go back and listen to last week. I'm not going to teach that again tonight. Verse 11, I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Or in other words, let's ask, what he's saying is, have they stumbled so far that they're unrecoverable? Past the point of redemption. Have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. Well, of course not. Because Paul, being a, he'd already answered that. He, he's an ethnic Jew and he's a Christian. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression brings riches for the world, 
and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. Again, a lot of people think that Romans 11 is talking about what God is going to do in the future for the Jews. But it's not here. It's not in this chapter. Their current state is what He will do for them. Their current state. And right here He says, you know, Paul is saying, my actions, I want to make them jealous to save some of them. That's their current state. So they can be saved just like the Gentile. For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Everything is holy from the root to the fruit. Right? Everything in between. Verse 17. Now if some of the branches were broken off and you... Though a wild olive branch, you as a Gentile, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. In other words, you've been adopted, you've been grafted in onto the very root. The original root. It's not a new root. It's not a different God. It's the same God. Now, you're just like one of the original branches. You've been grafted in. You're one of them. The plan of God. The children of God. The family of God. Not a different tree. Same tree. Same root. He's the root. And you're one of the branches. Now listen to the warning that he gives. In verse 18. Do not boast that you are better. See, pride will lead to unbelief. Pride leads into unbelief. And so the warning is, is don't, don't get into pride. Don't boast that you're better than those branches. But if you do boast... You do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. You know, we're better than ethnic Jews because now we are the children of God. He's saying, no, 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 not so fast. Verse 20, true enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, or the word is proud. Do not be proud, but beware or Revere, some, some just translated the word fear, but it means reverential fear. Be reverently afraid, because if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you. If you remain in His kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, talking of the ethnic Jews, even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in, just like you were. Because they were cut off, but they'll be grafted right back in if they don't remain in unbelief. Because God has the power to graft them in again. So they are in the same situation as we are. Have the ability to be grafted in. But they don't start there. They don't start as attached to the tree. Not on this side of the new covenant. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive tree and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? See, that can be a tricky thing. Putting a a 
grafting a branch in, sometimes a tree rejects it. Well, I have good news for you. The Lord's not going to reject you when you're grafted in. But even eat more easily than grafting a wild olive branch onto the tree is cutting one off of the tree and moving it to another place. Well, all the DNA, everything's 100% match, boy. That's just a real quick graft there, right? Whereas if the wild olive tree isn't quite the same, and so sometimes it can have an issue. Well, good news, there's no issue with us being grafted in. But the point being, if he can do it for you, the wild olive branch, he can certainly do it for his own when they believe. In verse 25, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. Remember, pride leads to unbelief. Because when you're proud, you don't think you need it. See, that was the deal with the, many of the Pharisees, many of the Israelites, ethnic Israel, is they, you know, the promises belong to us, all the things, all the covenant belong to us, we are the chosen ones. And then when the Messiah shows up, they actually don't humble themselves and believe because they think we've got it already. We're, we've got it all. And so l- let's not let that happen to us because that pride leads to self-sufficiency. He says here in verse 25, so that you will not be conceited, a partial hardening. Everyone say partial. If it were a complete hardening has come upon Israel, then Paul could not have gotten saved. But a partial hardening has come upon Israel, ethnic Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. All right. This verse and the next verse is where most people think that, oh, it's talking about a future state and a position of Israel. And I want to show you that it's not. Let's just start right here. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until. A lot of people will read, until the fullness of enough Gentiles come in, and at that point the hardening will be lifted off of the Jews. That is not what it says. That's what people added to it. It doesn't say that. In fact, this word until, put up 1 Corinthians 15.25 on the screen. I'll show you two places how this word is, doesn't, it's not like that. This word until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in is in regards to, it's talking about the fullness of the Gentiles. It's not talking about the partial hardening. 1 Corinthians, here in verse 25, it says, For he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The until is not in regards to his reigning. In other words, he's going to reign until the enemies are on his feet and then he'll stop reigning. That's not what that means. We all know he's going to still reign afterwards. It's just saying all the way through, no matter what, until all the enemies are put in. Put up Hebrews 4.12 is another example of this. Hebrews 4 verse 12. Now, in this translation, it's not going to use the word until. I'll show you the word. It says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as. That's the word translated until. As far as. To the degree of. All the way until a complete separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Until it's compl- it has happened. In other words, it doesn't, the Word of God doesn't cease to be living and effective and sharp once it's separated. It still remains. So he says a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentile, or all the way until the fullness has come in. It's, it's about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. It's not about the partial hardness. And then in verse 26, he says, and in this way, or in this manner. Now some translations just say so. 
And so all Israel will be saved. But that word so means in this manner or in this way. In this way, all Israel will be saved. In this way. In what way? In this way, the fullness of the Gentiles that come in. That's the way. The fullness of the Gentiles are coming into what? They're coming into the Israel of God. They're becoming Israel. Stepping into the believing, becoming a son of God, they become Israel. And in this way, the fullness of all Israel is now, is now present. In this way, he's saying. So I'll read verse 25 and 6 together. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel, ethnic Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel of God will be saved, not ethnic Israel. Now some people will say, yeah, but what you can't, it doesn't make sense that it would mean two different things. Israel would mean two different types of Israel. One ethnic and one Israel of God. However, Paul doesn't have any problems using the same word to mean two different things back in chapter 9. When in, in verse 6 where he says that not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. He uses it in two different ways there. In the same sentence. Not all ethnic Israel is Israel of God, he's saying. Because it has to do with the promise. And, and we looked at that when we went through chapter 9. See, the Gentiles, are, the fullness of the Gentiles are coming in to where? To the olive tree. They're being grafted in to the same root. The Israel of God. The root is God. The tree, the branches are the Israel of God. Now look here in verse 26. In this way, in this manner, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob and this will be My covenant with them when I take away their sins. Regarding the Gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. God is faithful to keep His promises. And if we would, even going so far as to say, well, all Israel will be saved, it's not meaning every individual, for starters, as the ethnic nation of Israel, because the fullness of the Gentiles would mean that every ethnic Gentile would have to now be saved as well. But that's not obviously not what he's, what he's referring to. <clears throat> So his gifts and callings are irrevocable. Verse 30, as you once disobeyed God, but now, everyone say now. As you once disobeyed God, but now, that's current, that's not future, that's not some future state of Israel, but it's the now, have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. Not later, now. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that He may have mercy on all. In fact, Revelation 7 verse 9 talks about this. It says that He was looking in heaven and He saw before the throne people of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue were all gathered there. They were all one before the Lord. So then Paul, he's, he, now he talked about the mercy of God and that how it's for all and, and, and it's even for the Jew. And he, he starts this hymn 
He, he writes this hymn, and maybe at that time they had knew a tune that went with it. I don't know, but I'll just read it to you. I'm not going to try to invent one. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has ever given to God that He should be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. So God is rich in mercy. Now I want to go back and look at a number of Scriptures that I'm going to read to you about Israel and the church. Because if you're taking notes, you'll want to write down the references and you can, you can study this out later to see are Israel and the church one. And don't take my word for it. Let the Scripture break down to you what it is, what's truth. So Israel and the church being the Israel of God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'll read to you verses 12 through 22. It talks about one new man. Now be listening for how the two are made one. At that time, you were without Christ. He's talking to Gentiles. Excluded from the citizenship of Israel. That's ethnic Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, everyone say now. In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in His flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that He might create in Himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that He might reconcile both, Jew and Gentile, both to God in one body through the cross by which He put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. That's Jew and Gentile. For through Him we both have access, Jew and Gentile, in one Spirit. Remember, there's one root. One Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. That makes both groups Israel. Even in the Old Covenant, there was no problem with a foreigner becoming Israel. They would come in and they would follow the laws and they would become an Israelite. And in fact, you could have two foreigners that would marry each other, that were both living as Israelites, and their offspring were considered just as much an Israelite as anyone else. So it's not a new thing. It's just brought together in Christ. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, right? They all belong to Israel. With Christ Jesus Himself, He belonged to Israel as the cornerstone. In Him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together, Jew and Gentile, built together in Him for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So the temple is now for both. We become one body. So we see where there's one new man. Is there now God's special ethnic Israel and then His special Christian believers? No, it's not what it's saying here. Let's look at point number two. We're co-heirs and we're in the same body. This is found in Ephesians 3, 4-11. through 
By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So as I read this, you're going to have insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs. Co-heirs. Same tree. Branches on the same root. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. I was made a servant of this Gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of His power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to His eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we see we're co-heirs, we're in the same body, and we're in His church. We'll talk about His church a little bit later. Here's point number three. We're grafted into the same root. I've already mentioned this multiple times. But in Romans 11, 16, and 17, it says, Now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now if some of the branches were broken off, you though a wild olive branch was grafted in among them. So you're now on the tree. You've come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. That'd be the Lord. Same family. Not a different tree. Look at number four here. We're called the seed. This is in Galatians 3. We're called the seed of Abraham. We're called the children of promise. We're called sons by faith. And then he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, but all one in Christ. So in Galatians 3.16-29. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Seed of Abraham. He does not say and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one. And to your seed who is Christ. So my point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law has been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But we know that's not the case. Verse 22, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. 
So number five talks of a heavenly Jerusalem. Let's see what he says here in Galatians 4, 22-26. Heavenly Jerusalem. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by slave and the other by free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things were being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. We know that Ishmael was not a son of the promise. He is a descendant of Abraham, but not of the promise. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. So he is saying that Hagar and Ishmael correspond to Jerusalem today. The city of Jerusalem. I'm, I, okay, talk about end times a little bit. Here's the thing that's confusing to me. How believers, or why believers, get so excited when ethnic Jews talk about rebuilding the temple? That's just a horrible idea. If they build that temple, I'm not going there. He lives within me. Not in a building. And you read Revelations, you see what's going to happen when that thing gets built. It's not a day to celebrate. Anyhow, that's a side note. So, he's saying present day Jerusalem, modern nation of Israel, Jerusalem, represents Mount Sinai. Then in verse 6, look at the contrast. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Heavenly Jerusalem. And then he begins to talk about, continues to talk, we've already read several verses, about children of the promise and of the free woman. This is point number six. There's 18 of these. Children of the promise and of the free woman. Look at what he goes on and says, For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac are children of promise. He's writing this to Gentiles. And he's saying, you're like Isaac and belong to the same promise. And we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem, the real Jerusalem. But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. And but what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of a free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave but of the free woman. He's saying, Gentiles, we are children of the free woman. Here's point number seven. Now here's an interesting thing. These points are not original with me. There's something I like to do, especially um, when I'm using a passage of Scripture. One of the greatest gifts that Apostle Dale ever gave to me was one of his Bibles that he had filled up with notes. So I always like to check his Bible does he have any good nuggets there in the margins? It's a wide margin Bible. It can hold lots of notes. And so that's where I got this list of 18. I went there to go look and was like, wow, this is really good. I wrote them all in my margin of my Bible. Now they're mine. But I'm going to give him credit this time. I don't think there's a sermon I preach that I studied for at least. Some sermons I didn't study for. <laughs> I need mean, to hear someone go, man, it sure sounds like it sometimes. No, not in that way. Um, but every sermon that I study, I, I really mean that, is I always look at what, what notes did he put because it, it is 
Um, a truly a gift of God to me, that, that Bible that He gave to me. Here, so, seven. We've already read this Scripture. I'll read it again. It's in Romans 9, 6-8, through 8, where He says not all Israel, ethnic Israel, is the Israel of God. Not all Israel is Israel. Now, it is not as though the Word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are all of Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. Number eight, the Israel of God is not exclusive to ethnic Israel. In Galatians 6, 15 and 16, both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Now, where's the new creation? Inside of us, right? Your new spirit man. It says, may peace come to all those who follow this standard. Now, he was writing to Gentiles, Gentile believers, and mercy even to the Israel of God, which is referring to both groups here. And if you read the verses that come before and after, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, number nine, not a Jew outwardly. We read this back in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. And then 10, in Hebrews 12, 22-24, talks of Mount Zion. And if you'd read the verses that come before it, he's contrasting it with Mount Sinai, the Old Covenant. So he's contrasting to the new Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the church of the firstborn, to the new covenant. He says these words, he says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not the ethnic Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering or a festive assembly, to the church of the firstborn. Now some translations translate that assembly of the firstborn, but you understand that the word church means assembly. So it's to the church of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. And then Jesus made a statement in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, I will build my church. He says, I say to you that you are Peter. He's talking to a Jew. He says, on this rock, which was the confession of who Jesus was, on this confession, you could say, on this rock, I will build my church, my assembly. This is the first time he uses the word in in the New Testament. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Well, that's interesting that he would say it's his church and that it's going to be on the confession that Peter had just made. Here, let's look a little bit further into that. If his church is his Jewish people, well, or the Israel of God is his church, we could say, and anyone who is in the family of God is part of that. Acts 7.38 says it this way, He is the one who was in the church in the wilderness. Same word. In the assembly in the wilderness. It's talking about the Israelites. They were His assembly then. It's still His assembly. It's not two assemblies. It's one assembly. One church. He is the one. This is Acts 7.38. He is the one who was in the church in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to Him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. 
He received living oracles to give to us. Talking of Moses. And then in Hebrews 2, 11 through 13. says, The one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, so us and God, anyone who believes, those who are sanctified, all have one Father. One Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's going to call the believing Jew, ethnic Jew, the believing ethnic Jew his brother or sister, just like he's going to call the Gentile his brother or sister, saying, I will, Jesus says this, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the church. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Finally, number 12, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but if you want to look at the new covenant with the house of Israel and Jesus as the high priest, read Hebrews 7 and 8. New covenant with the house of Israel. And we're part of that. The house of Israel. Not a separate Israel. Not a future when Christ returns. Different type of He's doing a different thing with ethnic Israel. No. The church and Israel are one and the same now. We have been grafted in to the same. 13, chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. Does that sound familiar? This was in Peter. It was written to ethnic Jews who were Christians. And he made that statement to him. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you might proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He is differentiating between the ethnic Jew and the believing Jew. Do you see that? Once you weren't, now you are. Just like we are. In, in four, uh, point number 14, remember the dispersion of the twelve tribes, of the believing twelve tribes. In James 1.1, 1, 1, James, the, the pastor of the church back in Jerusalem, he wrote this and he says, um, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad greetings. And if you read the rest of the book, you realize he's writing to believing Christians just like you and I. The same house of Israel or the same Israel of God. And then in, in Galatians, this is an interesting one, I want to read this one. Galatians 2 starting in verse 1 through 16. The Judaizers and, and the experience Paul had and Peter had. Let's look at this. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. Remember, it, the, these guys back in Jerusalem weren't exactly taking the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul is coming in with a new idea. Here's the revelation I got. I'm taking this gospel to the Gentiles. And he did it privately, it said, to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. I wanted to make sure he was getting it right. Well, good for Paul. But not even Titus, see, he brought Titus along with him. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the Gospel would be preserved for you. Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw I had been entrusted 
with the gospel for the uncircumcised or the Gentiles, just as Peter was for the circumcised or the Jew. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. See, remember, it's one root. He's working to reach both groups of people because he's made them both one. When James, Cephas, and John, who those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. But when Cephas, that'd be Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles. See, Jews weren't supposed to do that. He regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. So when, when people from the head church in Jerusalem show up, Peter suddenly like, oh, he's not going to eat with them anymore because he's afraid of what James's guys are going to say about this. Then the rest of the Jews, in verse 13, joined in his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This must have been astounding to him. Because he, he specifies that even Barnabas, like that was you know, a bridge a bit far. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the Gospel, I told Cephas, Peter, in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, he just stood up and told on him in front of everyone. <laughs> Look, you aren't living like a Jew, and you know it, so how are you asking them to? It says, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. So he brings it all together in Jesus Christ, which is the, is the theme here. Reason number 16. Look at the entire logic of Peter, an ethnic Jew who is a believer. Look at his logic. His, his, the logic of his entire argument is based upon what I'm talking about in Acts 15. They're back in Jerusalem and they're explaining why he went to the Gentiles. Remember the whole vision with the sheet, the animals, unclean animals in the sheet. Then he goes to the Gentile um, general's house. Remember the story? And the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of that. So now they're back in Jerusalem explaining their actions. Why did we do what we did? And so there was this whole big discussion, vigorous debate, and finally Peter stands up and he says this. He says, He, God, in verse 9 of Acts 15, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? See, he's calling these new believers, Gentile believers, the disciples, just like themselves. They're one. On the contrary, we believe they are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So he's just bringing, there's no difference here. We're one in the same family, saved in the same way. Reason number 17. We could look at this one for a long time. We're not going to. I'll just read a couple places. Types and shadows. Types and promises of the temple 
Well, we know that Jesus, God lived in the temple of old. But now Gentile and Jew are alike the temple. There's no distinction. We know that the land was given to ethnic Israel in the Old Covenant. But now we have been given wherever we tread. The land has been given to us. And we have the, the entire earth is going to be ours in the future. And then there's the Davidic throne. Remember the promises? I'll just read to you Jeremiah 33, 14-8. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will fulfill the good promise I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch, notice the language, to sprout up for David, and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is what she will be named, the Lord is our righteousness. He's no longer talking about ethnic Israel, he's talking about the Israel of God, the Jerusalem from above. The Lord is our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. David will never fail to have a descendant sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. There have been years and years and years of no Israelite by blood descent king on the natural earth sitting on a natural throne of Israel. Of the nation of Israel. He's talking of Jesus. Jesus is that descendant of David and He will forevermore sit on David's throne. So when you read Revelation, suddenly things start to look a little differently when you begin to see Israel and the church, the Israel of God and the church are, are the same. One and the same. And understand. Well, let me read the next verse and then I'll make a statement. The Levitical priests will never fail to have a man always before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices. The Levitical priests will... That's not been happening since when? Thousands of years. So is God a liar? No. Jesus, our high priest, has now a sacrifice. Right? One sacrifice. So the prophecy was true and is currently taking place. Now, based on all the Scriptures, I'm not done, I have two more, that I read, I'm firmly convinced that Israel and the church, the Israel of God and the church, are they're one and the same. They're the same unit. And that ethnic Israel has equal access to the Gospel just like Gentiles do. They have to believe. That's how they make entrance to it. There's not a special provision for them because of their bloodline. But this is something that scholars have, dated, have debated for years and years and years. There's people that they spend a lot of time studying this and come to different conclusions. So you're not a unicorn if you believe differently than I do. I'm just telling you I believe this way because of what I, the verses I read to you. Alright, I'll read out of Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says something similar. It says, For a child will be... Uh, worship team, you can come. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on His shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. No one has any doubt what he's talking about here. He's talking of Jesus. It says, The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom 
to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. So it's already happened and will continue to happen forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And then reason 18, all these things are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus said this to His disciples after His resurrection. In Luke 24.44, He told them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. While there's been a great gap of Israelite kings, there's never been a gap because Jesus sits on the throne and will continue to sit there and continue to reign. And we're not looking for an Israelite natural king. Sure, there's many that are, but I'm saying you and I, we have that person already in Jesus Christ. I want to give you another nugget to help you in understanding end times. Again, I'm not teaching tonight on on end times, but I'm teaching on a subject that is foundational for your end time beliefs and will largely help shape those beliefs if you come back to well, who is Israel in the church. One of the things where people get into, get into uh, the weeds sometimes and misunderstandings is when they <clears throat> try to understand prophecy in a linear fashion, in a timeline fashion. Instead of, because when you read Daniel or Isaiah or Revelations, these books of prophecy that speak to end times, they're all over the place. They're, the timelines are all over the place. One moment they're talking about a current event, and the next mo- sentence they're talking about something thousands of years away. And then they're back to the next sentence in current events, and they're just back and forth and back and forth. And an amazing thing about prophecy is that how it can be true for multiple timelines even. It can be true for them, and then you see it again coming to pass in Jesus, and then you see it coming to pass in end times, and so it can have multiple timelines of application. So when you want to understand end times, don't look at books of prophecy to understand timelines. Rather, go to someone who taught it in a timeline. Jesus did not do like Daniel or Isaiah or John in Revelations and, and dump out these prophecies all mixed up and jumbled up, but He laid them out in timeline. In the Gospels, you can see how Jesus taught end times. He laid it out in a timeline. Paul, in Thessalonians and other places, in Corinthians, he taught a timeline. So take what Paul taught, overlay it with what Jesus taught, and you'll see they witness with each other on timelines. But if you take Revelations, Isaiah, and Daniel and lay it over how Jesus taught it, because I think he understood end times pretty good, just my opinion, better than you and I. If you take Daniel and Isaiah and Revelations and lay it over how Jesus taught it, it doesn't work. You have to cut them up and say, okay, this piece fits in here, how Jesus taught it. And then this piece way over here fits right here next, because that's how Jesus said it would happen next. And so you cut those up and make those fit the timeline rather than making what Jesus said fit the timeline of prophecies that cover multiple timelines at once. Does that make sense? So again, if you want to... Just that's a nugget for understanding when you study end times to say, okay, um, how did Jesus teach it? 
what was the order he said it would happen in and then that will shed light on understanding revelations or Daniel or or Isaiah all right stand with me and we are going to pray and then we'll turn the time over for John to lead us in song and praise father I thank you that you have brought us into the family of God And that you made us one and that you tore down the dividing wall and that you grafted us in, that you gave us your DNA and and made us a co-heir. Lord, I know that we didn't deserve it, but that you gave it to us anyway and we're very grateful for that. And Father, we just lift up uh, the ethnic Jews and the Gentiles around the entire world. Those that have not heard the good news. Lord, that You send ministers to them to minister the truth of the Gospel, the good news to them, so that the power of God would be displayed and they could come into the kingdom and come into the house of Israel and and become a co-heir with us and with those that have come before us. I thank You for doing this, Father. By Your Spirit, draw them into Your will, into Your design, into Your purpose. Help us to have a burning desire within to share that good news. To be a taker of good news. A teller of good news. A doer of Your Word. I thank You for helping us in this. Thank You for filling us full of Your Spirit. Giving us Your promises. We lay hold of them in Jesus' name. And Amen. wonderful, isn't he? Matchless. No one could match him. I want to give you some homework for next week. Is that okay? If you're going to be, even if you're not back with us, you can take the homework with you and do it in your own life. Have an answer ready next week if you would be called on in the service. Three things that you're grateful for. That you're truly grateful for. Three things. Everyone can do this. Man, woman, and child. Three things you're grateful for. And while you think of it, why are you grateful for them? What about it? What about those things are you thankful for? So what will happen is this week as you think about that, remember who gave those things to you. Right? It's the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Father, we thank You for being so good to us. That You are wonderful. That You are Counselor. That You are Mighty God. Thank You, Lord. Father, thank You for raising Jesus from the dead. That You didn't leave Him there, but that You restored Him to kingship. You restored Him to the throne with You. That You brought Him up. You gave us the best big brother anyone could ever have. Thank You, Father, for doing that. Thank You that He's our Advocate. Thank You that You've been a Father to us and continue to be a Father to us. We just honor You and bless You, Lord. And we love You. Alright, one way that we love God in this house is we bless each other, we love on each other, we check in with each other. So do that as you go. And... um, 
There's a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone is invited. Father, we give you a sacrifice of praise on the lips of each one of ourselves here tonight. We just say we love you, Lord. We bless you. Let's tell them that. Say, I love you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. Thank you for being good to me. Come on, tell him that. It don't sound very convincing. Thank you for being good to me. You are good. You are good. You are awesome. I praise you. I praise you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hey, well, why does the pastor tell me to say all of those things and repeat after me and say this and say that? And isn't worship of the heart? You know, worship absolutely begins in the heart. Alright, that's a big deal. You could have all just a form and a show on the outside and not have worship on the inside, and that'd be a problem. But obviously, if you have worship on the inside, it can also come on the outside. In fact, in Revelations, when you read that there is, for about 30 minutes, there's silence in heaven. I don't think you need practice for that. The rest of the time, it says they were loud. They were rejoicing. They were praising, right? And they would go on and on and sing the same song over and over. Some people criticize, right? Not in this house, but I'm saying other believers from other places. People criticize about songs that are repetitive. Well, they need to read Revelation. There's about four lines they repeat for I don't know how long. Because time isn't measured like it is now, right? So where, where's your heart? Right? Where's your heart? Are you, are you truly come with a heart of worship to exalt Him, saying, Father, I recognize that You're just the best thing that I've ever come up against. Right? Ever brushed against. Ever known. Or ever will know. Father, I thank You that You are here tonight. You said where two or three are gathered, You are there in the midst of them. So Lord, we are guaranteed an audience with You tonight. And that Your ear is open to what we would pray and to what we would say. And that You have a keen interest to minister to us tonight. And we give You full reign tonight to do as pleases You in Jesus' name. All right, you can. Uh, we're going to send the children to Children's Church and the different teachers to their stations. While they're going, go ahead, greet someone, introduce yourself to someone, say hello to your neighbor. Well, we'd like to uh, ask you to find your seat. We'd like to welcome you tonight to Church of the Word. Is there anybody here for the very first time with us tonight? If you want to raise your hand, we'd like to welcome you over here. Welcome, we're glad to have you with us. So tonight we just have a few announcements. Um, this weekend, is or, tomorrow, is Orphan Sunday. So last week if you were here with us, Mishani got up and she presented some things. Um, she also has her, her booth or her table in the back lobby tonight. So if you missed that and you would like to stop by and speak to the Zimmermans about any questions about their journey of adoption or anything, or just encourage them. Uh, she'll be up there. She'll be coming up uh, after she teaches a class tonight with the children. So she'll be back there after the service if you'd like to stop by the table. 
We have a need at CityGate Lancaster. That is our local mission that we partner with here in Lancaster. Um, there is a need for a few men's sized winter coats, sizes medium and large. So in the back, Miss Debbie has a sign-up sheet. There's a, a need for about five or six coats. Uh, if you would be willing to bring a coat in a men's size, medium or large, please just sign your name on the sheet. When the sheet is full, we're good on the coats. However, there's also a need for wool socks and winter gloves for CityGate Lancaster. And there'll be a box back there in the back next week if you would like to bring donations in. That would be greatly, greatly appreciated as we head into these cold winter months. We are going to be getting ready to start our Christmas outreach again. It will be the same as last year because the need is great for diapers, baby wipes, and formula. So these are all going to go be distributed through the Align Pregnancy Services, and we thank you so much for your giving. There will also be a box for that if you'd like to come and bring in your donations. There will be a box in the back for that as well. And also, it's November, so thinking ahead to Christmas, our Christmas Eve service, which is actually Saturday night this year, we are going to be moving up the time to 4 o'clock p.m., so please make note of that on your calendars that it will be starting at 4 o'clock. So with that, if there's anybody who needs an envelope for their giving tonight, if you could just raise your hand and the ushers will come bring that to you. And while they are doing that, I'm going to invite our pastor, Pastor Sid, to come on up. As you prepare your tithe and offering to give a return to the Lord, I want to read out of Genesis 22. And the reason that you're seeing me up here tonight rather than my lovely wife like normal, she stayed home with uh, two of our children that are overcoming chicken pox. And so uh, I I know there's been a number of others in the church that have been dealing with sickness and And I want to encourage you guys to just put your foot down. Don't accept this. You know, there's been, there's been multiple attacks, not just in, in health, but in other ways against this, this body. Since we've stepped out and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to plant churches. Here's how it's going to look. This is what the Lord's telling us. And instantly, could have predicted it. Here it comes. Now, we've been given all the equipment that we need to overcome those attacks, to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. So let's not let our guard down. Let's keep ourselves out of strife, keep ourselves in love and in faith. And there's no sickness, there's no, no tragedy, no thing that can dissuade or, or distract us. Just determine that in your heart from the purposes that God has put upon you individually and upon us corporately. So tonight, if you... Uh, or that's why you're not seeing Jen up here and, and my family on the front row. All right, in Genesis chapter 22, did you guys get envelopes for your giving? Yes? No? Is that a, a yes or a, I need one? Okay, if you need an envelope for your giving, um, just raise your hand. The ushers will bring one to you. And if you're making out a check, make it out to uh, CWI. If it's a missions offering or something, just designate where you want it to go. If there's no designation, just write missions and we'll make sure that it gets into the mission field. In Genesis chapter 22 is an amazing story of Abraham, of, of Isaac, of God, and of faith. In verse 1 it says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering 
on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, Abraham was not um, a stranger to burnt offerings. He knows that burnt offerings are not survivable. Alright? So he knows exactly what's being asked of him. And just a side note here, it's, it's not a side note at all, it's actually one of the main points, um, but it may seem like a side note at first, is that, you know, God is a very just God, and when He gave authority and dominion to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve then gave that away to the, to the devil when they listened to Him, there was a way, the, the Lord needed a way back into the earth to work with mankind because they had walked away from Him. They had corrupted what God had given them, the dominion He'd given to them. And so, He knows that here He's made covenant with Abraham. He has His man in the earth. But if I can, with that, my man that I have covenant with in the earth, if He'll give me His one and only Son, then I have the same right, because remember, he's in covenant. When you're in covenant with someone, it means what's theirs is mine, what's mine is theirs. So, his man Abraham in the earth, if he'll give his one and only son to me, and not withhold him from me, then I can do the same with my one and only son and give him to the earth and not withhold from them. So see, he's playing by the rules he's originally set up. He's not superseding them, he, he's playing completely in a just and a fair way. So here, if you look at uh, in verse 3, we'll go on. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey. Notice he was quick to obey. We can take lessons from that. Don't be slow to obey. Let's be quick. Sometimes we need to be smart enough to ask the next question, like when, Lord? But if that's clear, then be quick to obey. So he saddled his donkey. He took with him two young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering. And he set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, so it's not just next door. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. So he has every intention of slaughtering Isaac on this altar that he's going to build. But he's also in complete faith that the two of us are coming back. I'm not coming alone. And when you read Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith chapter, in there it says how Isaac expected that he would be raised from, I mean, God, uh, Abraham, excuse me, expected that Isaac would be raised from the dead and brought back to, back to life because the promise that had been given to Abraham, it was promised that it would be through Isaac. And so he knew this can't be the end of the road for Isaac because God said. See, what for a mountain are you facing in your life that is doesn't look like it lines up with a prior word of the Lord that was given to you or a promise that you're standing on. Just go back to, yeah, but God said. So it has to be this way. It has to be this way. The mountain has to come into obedience even if it takes a miracle of raising Isaac from the dead, right? Or whatever your situation is. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father? And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide. The word is see. See and provide. God Himself will see and provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. I guess that was good enough for Isaac. Right? Isaac's a young man. He has enough youth that I'm quite certain he's stronger than Abraham at this point. It wasn't that they got into a fight and after a whole 
bout of wrestling and kicking and kickboxing, finally Abraham prevailed and got Isaac up onto the altar. Hogtied him, got him there. That's not how this was. It took a submission of Isaac, it took a submission of Abraham, and a working together. When, verse 9, when they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he replied, here I am. And then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Funny, he didn't notice it before. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. I mean, there's just all kinds of types and shadows of Jesus, the substitute here, right? Verse 14, And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, or the Lord will see and provide. Um, also known as, sometimes people pronounce it Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh, but it means the Lord will see and provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. All the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. So Abraham went back to his young men. They got up and went together to Beersheba. You know, the Lord sees and provides. If the Lord instructs you to do something, asks you to do something, you know, that's Old Covenant promise to Abraham. But then we have an equally strong covenant with Him that's even a better covenant. But in, in Philippians it says what? He'll supply all our needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, the way we like to read that... <clears throat> is that He'll supply all my needs long before I reach the need. You know, because then we can confidently go in faith and do what He said because, you know, it, it was like when the Lord told me to get my pilot's license and I'm like, okay, so I research and I look to see how much it's going to cost and, okay, Lord, I'll do that when You provide the funds to go do it. And then one day, I get a visit from the Lord and He's saying, you are supposed to get your pilot's license. And I'd been disobedient, right? Because I was waiting for the need to be met before I walked into it. Didn't realize I was being disobedient, but the fact of the matter is the Lord loves you enough that He will come. If you're blowing it, He'll come let you know. And that's the most comforting thing that, that for my own life. That in spite of my stupidity, He's already calculated that into His call upon my life. And He's going to help me get it right. He's more interested in me getting it right than I am. And so if I'm getting it wrong, He's going to tell me, well, for you and I, if you, if you are in a financial situation or you're believing God for funds to do something, you know, go back to the Lord. Make sure that you're not sitting when you should be up and moving towards the destination. And then He'll bring in the increase and He'll see and provide. You know, it, the story would be different, wouldn't it, if they, when they reached the base of the mountain, Abraham saw the 
ram caught in the thicket and took it up there and, oh, this must be the Lord's provision. And never, never put his son on the altar, never any of that stuff. You know, it's the story's a whole lot stronger when the provision comes at the moment that you need it. We'd like to have it weeks in advance. Am I the only one? But when you obey the Lord, and in that moment is when He provides. You know, when, when my family and I moved here from Colorado, we packed everything up. We had no money to come. We didn't have a house here, but we knew the Lord said come. And so we put all of our things into a trailer, and we planned on leaving the following Monday morning. But we didn't have gas money to even come to be here. This is like 2011, August of 2011. And so we are just being obedient to what the Lord's telling us to do. And we know that it is um, Sunday morning at this point, and we don't have the funds to put gas in the car to come for our vehicle nor for the guy that's pulling our trailer here. But we know that the Lord said go. So one of two things is going to happen. Either he's going to provide the funds or the vehicles just won't run out of fuel. Hey, that's possible, right? Gage could just stay at full the whole time. That'd be cool. Um, Or maybe someone will arrive and just pay for it at the pump. I know my part is obedience. His part is the need being met. But see, if we allow fear to derail us from stepping out, you never will experience the miracle. We all want miracles. We just don't want to need any miracles. Right? Nobody wants to need a miracle. Oh, but we'd love to see a miracle. Well, walk by faith. You'll see the miracle. So, that was on Sunday morning. Well, by Sunday evening, someone we had gone out to breakfast with someone that morning and, and they were like, hey, the Lord told me to give you this. And it was, you know, and we weren't telling people that we didn't. No one knew that we didn't have the funds. We didn't tell anyone. So, they weren't responding to a need we had voiced. They just simply, the Lord touched them and said, hey, do this. And they gave us enough money in that check to cover all of our fuel, all the trip, all the food for both of us all to come and arrive here. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't any too early. And I suppose that probably wouldn't have shown up if we would have said, well, Lord, we'll go once you provide the money. So where's the miracle that you need in your finances? So tonight as you, put your, as you return your tithe or give an offering to the Lord or put your faith to what you've done in the past, that a harvest will come in and that He will meet your needs according to His covenant with you. And when you return a tithe or an offering to the Lord, you are giving Him permission and acknowledging His lordship of your finances. And so it's a two-way thing, just like Abraham and God in sharing their sons with each other. You guys are sharing finances with each other. And you are involving Him in your finances. So take a hold of your offering or your tithe and let's pray over it. Father, we thank You that You are faithful and that You watch over Your Word to perform it. And I call tonight every word fulfilled according to Your financial promises that You've given to us. That every one of our needs are met. And Father, that the tithe we return to You, that You rebuke the devourer for Your sake, and on our behalf that You would do that, and the offerings that we give to You, that they would be multiplied and increased, and that we would truly not have room to receive all the blessings that You pour out. And Lord, I ask You to always keep us sensitive to Your will, to Your purposes with our finances, and that if we ever start to become conceited or or, uh, become selfish or comfortable in our finances, that You would arrest us.
by your spirit or, or by a person, an individual, that you would bring to our attention our error and bring us back onto the path of provision, of success in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, and amen. The ushers can wait on the people that will give and receive to the Lord, from the Lord. Some of you probably were aware, maybe some of you weren't, but um, Marilyn Hoffsmith's father, right? Father um, passed away this, this week, and the funeral was today, or the celebration of life was today. Yes. And so, um, for those of you that know them, hey, love on them, be the comfort that God says that we are to be to one another, and um, check in with them, and and ask them if there's anything that you can do for them. I'm so grateful that we have a future and a hope. Right? A future and a hope. Very, very important for us. Also, before I go into the sermon, I want to stir you up a little bit. Some of you may have seen something that I put on Facebook and shared on the church Facebook page. By the way, if you have not... Um, if you don't get our updates on the church Facebook page, make sure that you go and like the page so that you get those updates. And <clears throat> there's a scripture in Hosea 8 verse 4. It says this. This is the Lord speaking. He says, They have installed kings, but not through me. They have appointed leaders, but without my approval. You know, if back in those days people could put in kings or leaders that were not approved of by the Lord, that can still happen today. If it could happen then, it happens today. And a lot of people, and, and I don't want it to be in this house, that we have that fatalistic mindset that God is just in control of everything. He's the one pushing all the buttons in heaven. He's the one in control of all the outcomes of how they all happen. And so therefore, whoever won the elections, that's God's will. No, that's not true. It's a tragedy to put off on the Lord something that is our responsibility. Is He in control? Absolutely. But not in that way. He's not in control of which cereal you chose this morning for breakfast. That's your responsibility. Because if He was in control of that, I promise you, you'd have made a better choice. <laughs> right? He's not in control of all the things that are happening in the earth. There's things He's delegated to us those are our responsibility. And so we pray and we act in faith and, and we do our part. But just like in Hosea here, the Lord is saying, you know what? You guys have chosen people that aren't my will. They're not my plan. They're not my purpose. And so let's not say, well, you know, God... Because sometimes I hear, and I've heard this a number of times already this week, um, not from any of you, but from other, other believers, that, well, you know... I don't know, God, I mean, with tears running down their face, God's in control. It's just His mysterious plan. He, he knows what He's doing. No. If this is the Lord's doing, He's doing a horrible job. I mean, come on. Why do we blame horrible, unrighteous decisions on Him? He doesn't do unrighteousness. Right? It's up to us to do, the, to do acts of righteousness and put in righteous people. And of course, He'll help us. He'll help us choose. He'll help us decide. But He's not the one that is electing them. That's for you and I. And so, I want to encourage you with this. That even when it appears that the enemy is winning, 
We have scripture in Romans that says he'll cause good to come out of it for those that love God. He wasn't the planner of it. He wasn't the instigator of it. But in spite of it, he'll cause good to come from it. Right? And so even when we have people, ungodly people, put into places of of civil leadership, you and I can still believe for the best of God to come out of these situations. Even if it means, like, remember COVID. That was such a horrible thing and all the lockdowns and all that, all that crazy stuff that happened. Well, we can still believe for the Lord to encounter people in the middle of it. For people to turn to the Lord because of the craziness of it, right? He wasn't the one doing it, but He can still touch the hearts of, of men and women in the middle of it. The other side of it is... is by the way, if you look around and realize we have a really light crowd, I don't think this is why we have such a light crowd tonight, but maybe they all moved to Florida. I don't know. It'd be a great place to go, not because of temperature, but because of righteous government that they've gone on down there, right? So, uh, so we all want to be Flor- Floridians right now. And what we saw, what we had imagined, what we believe is the Lord's will for Pennsylvania doesn't appear like it happened. In fact, some things went in reverse. Went further. Progressed further away. And for a longer period of time. But let's not lose hope. Because these things all... Think back... Um, think in your mind back to... a period in history of the United States of America that you would like us to return to a similar mindset and time frame. You know, for some of you, maybe that's the Reagan years. For some of you, maybe it's in the 50s. Um, but maybe some of you are going to go, well, I'd like for it to be, you know, 1786 or whatever. Well, whatever that time that you're picking in your mind, that you're saying that would be a great, a great place and space for, for this nation to be back at in that kind of mindset, right? We did not get from that point to where we are today overnight. It didn't happen in a moment of time. It happened progressively, little by little by little by little by little. And if you said, if you said, well, I'd just like for it to be like it was in the Reagan years, okay, let's use that as an example. In 30 plus years, we went from that to where we are now. So if we would like to see us be back in that place, it could very well take a space of time similar to that to get back to it. So we start... It's called grassroots in politics. We start on the grassroots level and we start by bringing righteousness back to local government. And this is a win for us because this year alone, we've had a red wave in our school boards across this state, across the nation really. But our schools that are indoctrinating kids, we've had so many school boards get flipped from liberal to conservative. From unrighteous to righteousness. And so if we continue that trend, those, those kids that now are going to have different curriculums chosen for them, different indoctrination to them, different worldviews as we continue to push on that, those kids in first grade, well, they can't vote for another how long? Right? 10 years, 12 years. They can't vote for another 12 years. And so... If we changed, got all the school boards how we wanted them tonight, and all the curriculums how we wanted them tonight, it would still be 12 years before that would begin to bear fruit in voting by raising children, children that are righteous. 
in, in theology and in understanding and in worldview. And so, if you say, well, yeah, our school boards and our schools aren't there as of yet, that's right. What if in 10 years we could get them to be in that place? And then in 12 years, we could start having the fruit of that coming into the election booth. So right there, you have 22 years. So we need to take a longer approach rather than the, well, they're just stealing elections. They're just, woe is me. We lost this battle, so the war is lost. No, no, no. Right? The war's not lost. That battle might have been lost. But we still have plenty of victories that we've accomplished in this state and in the nation and in places like Florida. Right? I know we're not in Florida, yet they can be a, an example to us. And the most important thing in all of this is if you're looking for that miraculous short result, then what we need is revival in the church. That the church becomes the light and beacon that it's supposed to be in, in our state and nation. And that people come into righteousness and we don't have to wait that whole 22 plus years. right? But things can be sped up. And we can come back to a form of government that is based on righteousness rather than on death and sin and, and all of that. So, be encouraged. All is not lost. We still have work to do. And um, let's continue to apply our faith, our words, our prayers, our actions, encouraging each other to continue the fight. Is that alright? We've already had several sermons tonight, I feel like. By the way, um, how many adventuresome people do we have in here? Okay, those of you in the sound booth, you don't count. Everyone else, who, who feels adventuresome in here? They're like, man, I like adventure. Okay, I, I hear it's pretty adventuresome to sit up close, up front and center. So let's have you adventuresome folks move up. We've got lots of empty space in the first three rows over here and some over here. And uh, since we're a light crowd, we can move a little closer together. And it's amazing how much more you'll pick up when you're in their face than when you are across the room. I know some of you don't want to believe it, but it's true. If I come and stand in front of you at your chair, you're going to have an entirely different experience of receiving than you are from me across the room. I just move up until you feel like you've had enough adventure. While you guys are uh, re resituating and moving, yeah, that's right, Barry. Come, absolutely, come join. Uh, join your wife. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, all right, thank you for humoring me. I feel better. Now, the reason it's adventuresome is because when you're up close and personal, you get picked on. So, Barry, you watch out. Tonight is, is your night. I'm very glad he's here, aren't you? Uh, now, in all seriousness, I thank God for this couple. They uh, have been such a blessing to this body in so many ways. That is. See, that never would have happened if you'd have stayed back there. Barry has taken care of the uh, churchyard being mowed.
getting someone to do it for the last couple of number of years now, and um, we're really grateful for that. And so if some of you have it on your heart that you'd like to do it the next mowing season, talk to Barry and he'll make sure that you, uh, you get scheduled in.